the maid of maiden lane by amelia edith huddleston barr this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org cast cornelia moran read by grace garrett george hyde read by chuck williamson arenta van arians read by amanda friday Ava Moran, read by Capricia Page. Annie Hyde, read by Victoria Martin. Aunt Angelica, read by Elizabeth Clett. Richard Hyde, read by Ron Altman. Kate Hyde, read by M. J. Frank. Joris Van Heemskirk, read by Algie Pug. Lisbeth Van Heemskirk, read by Christine G john moran read by robert hoffman wren van arians read by michael reese peter van arians read by david lawrence jacobus van arians read by todd englishman read by beth thomas john adams read by todd mrs adams read by april gonzalez mrs smith read by kate carstens Thomas Jefferson, read by Ken Garrett. Mrs. Wiley, read by Kate Carstens. Mary Damer, read by Charlotte Duckett. Anthony Clymer, Dr. Roslin, Captain Jacobus, read by Nathaniel W. C. Higgins. Narrator, read by Tiffany Halla Colonna, and by Beth Thomas. Chapter One of The Maid of Maiden Lane, by Amelia E. Barr the home of cornelia moran never in all its history was the proud and opulent city of new york more glad and gay than in the bright spring days of seventeen hundred and ninety one it had put out of sight every trace of british rule and occupancy all its homes had been restored and refurnished and its sacred places reconsecrated and adorned like a young giant ready to run a race it stood on tiptoe eager for adventure and discovery sending ships to the ends of the world and round the world on messages of commerce and friendship and encouraging with applause and rewards that wonderful spirit of scientific invention which was the epic of the youthful nation the skies of italy were not bluer than the skies above it the sunshine of arcadia not brighter or more genial it was a city of beautiful and even splendid homes and all the length and breadth of its streets were shaded by trees in whose green shadows dwelt and walked some of the greatest men of the century these gracious days of seventeen hundred and ninety one were also the early days of the french revolution and fugitives from the french court princes and nobles statesmen and generals sufficient for a new iliad loitered about the pleasant places of broadway and wall street broad street and maiden lane they were received with courtesy and even with hospitality although america at that date almost universally sympathized with the french republicans whom they believed to be the pioneers of political freedom on the aged side of the atlantic the merchants on exchange the legislators in their council chambers the working men on the wharves and streets the loveliest women in their homes and walks and drives alike wore the red cockade 
the marseillaise was sung with the star-spangled banner and the notorious carmagnole could be heard every hour of the day on stated days officially at the belvedere club love for france hatred for england was the spirit of the age it affected the trend of commerce it dominated politics it was the keynote of conversation wherever men and women congregated yet the most pronounced public feeling always carries with it a note of dissent and it was just at this day that dissenting opinion began to make itself heard the horrors of avignon and of paris the brutality with which the royal family had been treated and the abolition of all religious ties and duties had many and bitter opponents the clergy generally declared that men had better be without liberty than without god and a prominent judge had ventured to say publicly that revolution was a dangerous chief justice in these days of wonderful hopes and fears there was in maiden lane a very handsome residence an old house even in the days of washington for peter van cliff had built it early in the century as a bridal present to his daughter when she married philip moran a lawyer who grew to eminence among colonial judges the great linden trees which shaded the garden had been planted by van cliff so also had the high hedges of cut boxwood and the wonderful sweetbriar which covered the porch and framed all the windows filling the open rooms in summer-time with the airs of paradise on all these lovely things the old dutchman had stamped his memory so that even to the third generation he was remembered with an affection that every springtime renewed one afternoon in april seventeen ninety one two men were standing talking opposite to the entrance gates of this pleasant place they were captain joris van heemskerk a member of the congress then sitting in federal hall broad street and jacobus van ariens a wealthy citizen and a deacon in the dutch church van heemskerk had helped to free his own country and was now eager to force the centuries and abolish all monarchies consequently he believed in france the tragedies she had been enacting in the holy name of liberty though they had saddened had hitherto not discouraged him he only pitied the more men who were trying to work out their social salvation without faith in either god or man but the news received that morning had almost killed his hopes for the spread of republican ideas in europe van Ariens, he said warmly this treatment of king louis and his family is hardly to be believed it is too much and too far if king george had been our prisoner we should have behaved towards him with humanity after this no one can foresee what may happen in france that is the truth my friend answered van Ariens. the good domine thinks that any one who can do so might also understand the revelations the french have gone mad they are tigers sir and i care not whether tigers walk on four feet or on two we won our freedom without massacres we had washington and franklin and other good men and leaders who feared god and loved men so i said to the comte de mostier but one hour ago but i did not speak to him of the almighty because he is an atheist yet if we were prudent and merciful it was because we are religious when men are irreligious the lord forsakes them and if bloodshed and bankruptcy follow 
it is not to be wondered at that is true van ariens and it is also the policy of england to let france destroy herself well then if france likes the policy of england it is her own affair but i am angry at france she has stabbed liberty in europe for one thousand years a french republic bah french is yet fit for nothing but a despotism i wish the assembly had more control the assembly i wish that catherine of russia were now queen of france in the place of that poor marie antoinette catherine would make frenchmen write a different page in history as to paris i think then the devil never sowed a million crimes in more fruitful ground look now captain i am but a tanner and a courier as you know but i have had experiences and i do not believe in the future of a people who are without a god and without a religion well so it is van Aliens. i will now be silent and wait for the echo but i fear that god has not yet said let there be peace i saw you last night at mr hamilton's with your son and daughter you made a noble entrance well then the truth is the truth my orenta is worth looking at and as for rem he was not made in a day there are generations of zealand sailors behind him and to be sure you may see the ocean in his gray eyes and fresh open face god is good who gives us boys and girls to sit so near our hearts and such a fair free city for a home said van heemskerk as he looked up and down the sunshiny street new york is not perfect but we love her right or wrong we love her just as we love our mother and our little children that also is what the domine says answered van ariens and yet he likes not that new york favors the french so much when liberty has no god and no sabbath day and no heaven and no hell the domine is not in favor of liberty he is uneasy for the country and for his church and if he could take his whole flock to heaven at once that would please him most of all he is a good man with you last night was a little maid a great beauty i thought her but i knew her not is she then a stranger a stranger come come the little one is a very child of new york she is the daughter of dr moran dr john as we all call him well look now i thought in her face there was something that went to my heart and memory and as you know that is his house across the street from us and it was his father's house and his grandfather's house and before that the morans lived in winkle street and before that in the ladies valley so then when van cleef built this house for them they only came back to their first home yes it is so the morans have seen the birth of this city who then can be less of a stranger in it than the little beauty cornelia as you say van audience and yet in one way she is a stranger such a little one she was when the coming of the english sent the family apart and away to the army went the doctor and there he stayed till the war was over mrs moran took her child and went to her father's home in philadelphia 
when those redcoats went away forever from new york the morans came back here but the little girl they left in the school at bethlehem where those good moravian sisters have made her so sweet as themselves so pure so honest-hearted so clever it was only last month she came back to new york and few people have seen her and yet this is the truth she is the sweetest maid in maiden lane though up this side and down that side are some beauties the daughters of peter sylvester and of jacob beckley and of clays van dolsom oh yes and many others i speak not of my renta but look now it is the little maid herself that is coming down the street and it is my grandson who is at her side the rascal he ought now to be reading his law books in mr hamilton's office but what will you the race of young men with old heads on their shoulders is not yet born a god's mercy it is not we also have been young van heemskirk i forget not my friend my yaris sees not me and i will not see him then the two old men were silent but their eyes were fixed on the youth and maiden who were slowly advancing towards them the sun's westering rays making a kind of glory for them to walk in she might have stepped out of the folded leaves of a rosebud so lovely was her face framed in its dark curls and shaded by a gypsy bonnet of straw tied under her chin with primrose-coloured ribbons her dress was of some soft green material and she carried in her hand a bunch of daffodils she was small but exquisitely formed and she walked with fearlessness and distinction yet there was around her an angelic gravity and that indefinable air of solitude which she had brought from innocent studies and long seclusion from the tumult and follies of life of all this charming womanhood the young man at her side was profoundly conscious he was the gallant gentleman of his day hardly touching the tips of her fingers but quite ready to fall on his knees before her a tall sun-browned military-looking young man as handsome as a greek god with eyes of heroic form lustrous and richly fringed and a beautiful mouth at once sensitive and seductive he was also very finely dressed in the best and highest mode and he wore his sword as if it were a part of himself it was no more in this way than if it were his right arm indeed all his movements were full of confidence and ease and yet it was the vivacity vitality and ready response of his face that was most attractive his wonderful eyes were bent upon the maid at his side he saw no other earthly thing with a respectful eagerness full of admiration he talked to her and she answered his words whatever they were with a smile that might have moved mountains they passed the two old men without any consciousness of their presence and van heemskirk smiled and then sighed and then said softly so much youth and beauty and happiness it is a benediction to have seen it i shall not reprove yoris at this time but now i must go back to federal hall the question of the capital makes me very anxious every man of standing must feel so and i must go to my tan pits for it is the eye of the master that makes the good servant you will vote for new york van heemskirk that is a question i need not to ask where else should the capital of our nation be i think that philadelphia has great presumptions 
to propose herself against New York, this beautiful city between the two rivers, with the Atlantic Ocean at her feet. You say what is true, Van Heemskirk. God has made New York the capital, and the capital she will be, and no man can prevent it. It was only yesterday that Senator Grayson from Virginia told me that the southern states are against Philadelphia. She is very troublesome to the southern states, day by day dogging them with her schemes for emancipation. It is the way to make us unfriends. I think this, Van Adiens. Philadelphia may win the vote at this time. She has the numbers, and she has persuasions. But look you. New York has the ships and the commerce, and the sea will crown her. The harvest of the rivers is her revenue, and she is the mart of nations. That is what Domine Kuntz said in the house this morning, and you may find the words in the prophecy of Isaiah, the twenty-third chapter. During this conversation they had forgotten all else, and when their eyes turned to the Moran house, the vision of the youth and beauty had dissolved. Van Heemskirk's grandson, Lieutenant Hyde, was hastening towards Broadway, and the lovely Cornelia Moran was sauntering up the garden of her home, stooping occasionally to examine the pearl-powdered auriculus or to twine around its support some vine, straggling out of its proper place. Then Van Ariens hurried down to his tanning pits in the swamp, and Van Heemskirk went thoughtfully to Broad Street, walking slowly, with his left arm laid across his back and his broad, calm countenance beaming with that triumph which he foresaw for the city he loved. When he reached Federal Hall he stood a moment in the doorway, and with inspired eyes looked at the splendid, moving picture. Then he walked proudly toward the Hall of Representatives, saying to himself, with silent exultation as he went, The seat of government. Let who will have it. New York is a crowning city. Her merchants shall be princess, her traffickers the honourable of the earth. The harvest of her rivers shall be her royal revenue, and the marts of all nations shall be in her streets. End of chapter 1